Welcome to the Books and Travel podcast. I'm Jo Francis Penn, thriller and dark fantasy author, bringing you escape and inspiration about unusual and fascinating places, as well as the deeper side of books and travel. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my ebooks for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Hello, travellers. I'm Joe Francis Penn, and in this episode, I talk about Norway with David Nickell. From the stunning northern lights of Lofoten to the fjords of the western coast, scenic train journeys across the mountains, Viking history and the culture of the cities, David evokes a country that has much to explore. He also quotes Thor Heyerdahl, a famous Norwegian explorer, who said, Borders? I have never seen one, but I've heard that they exist in the minds of some people. And I love that quote because it goes to the heart of our identity as travellers. Of course, there are borders, but they are to be crossed. And many of us see ourselves more as citizens of the world. As I record this toward the end of 2020 in the pandemic year, we have been unable to cross pretty much every border. (laughs) And that makes this kind of virtual travel even more interesting. I'm certainly dreaming of kayaking the fjords, so I hope you enjoy this temporary escape. David Nichol is a British writer specialising in all things Scandinavia. Since moving to Norway in 2011, he's travelled the length and breadth of the country, producing the first and second editions of the Moon Norway Guidebook. He also runs the successful website and podcast, Life in Norway, where he talks about everything from relocation and travel advice to stories from the Viking Age. Welcome, David. Hi, Joe. Thanks for being here. I'm looking forward to introducing Norway to everyone. Oh, I'm very excited. And I, we have to start with the fjords because when I, I have your guidebook and of course, if you go on Google Maps, it's really obvious that the fjords are a big thing about Norway. So can you start there? Like, why are they such a feature geographically and some of the highlights? That's actually a really interesting point, And it's something I tell everyone to look at is get out a map and you'll see the fjords instantly. They are huge. They were formed by giant glaciers, so huge, heavy chunks of ice in previous ice ages, literally carving away the rock. And an interesting fact about them, and I only found out this recently, is the reason they're so calm enough to kayak on and for uh, big cruise ships to sail up is they're actually shallowest at the mouth, so where the ocean is, rather than further inland. They're much deeper further inland. Uh, And that, of course facilitates tourism but their impact it's not just about how beautiful they are although that does bring uh, tourists into the country Uh, it's also had a big impact on the development of Norway a lot of the early rural communities they grew up uh, along the fjords because of the access to fishing and the access to the mountains for, for farming in the summer but they also kept a lot of Norway very remote for very many years And you even see that today, if you take a road trip through Norway, through the fjord region, you will have to take several ferries. They are in process of building tunnels and bridges and so on, but ferries are still a a very integral part of of travelling around the region. 
Uh, just a bigger question, because when we say Scandinavia, when we say Norway, I feel that sometimes people put that whole region together in their brain. <laughs> so just to be clear, Norway is the one on the, the left-hand coast, the western coast, if you're looking at a map, which is why the fjords are so important, because they're basically that whole western coast. Exactly. The coastline is absolutely enormous. Um, it's actually so long that nobody knows how long it is because measuring coastline with the fjords is so difficult. There are about 10 different official uh, lengths of the coastline of Norway. But yeah, it's the coastal part of Scandinavia, basically. There, there is vast areas that are inland, but that tends to be uh, mountain plateaus and nobody really lives there. The, the vast majority of the 5 million or so people that live in Norway, they live around the coastline. That's where all the main cities are. And you mentioned kayaking and I'm just standing here as we record this during the pandemic thinking, I would just love to go kayak in a fjord right now. Like that just sounds idyllic. In fact, I was saying to my husband, we've never wanted to go on a cruise. Like I don't want to go on one of those big cruise ships if they ever come back after this. But I know there are some little ones. So if people wanted to visit, go through the fjordland of Norway, is it that you would get a like a little on a little boat or would what where would be some of the places you would recommend going to if you wanted to explore that so the fjords they're everyone in that you could have an active holiday in the fjords go hiking go kayaking or you could have a very passive holiday and just sit on the boat and let the boat sail around uh, the choice really is up to you my own recommendation is to hire a car because you can kind of get the boat best of both worlds there you can see several fjords in one trip, maybe within three or four days. You can join a car ferry, which some of these car ferries, they're not tourist ferries. They're not packed with tourists, but you're still sailing along the fjord. You'll still go past the waterfall and so on. And of course, with the cars, you can spend time in some of the small uh, communities that still exist along the fjords as well. Whether you want to stand on a boat, and there are smaller passenger boats as well. They tend to be pretty crowded, especially in June, July and August, when the majority of people come to Norway. But yeah, there really is a choice, whichever you prefer. And what's the weather like? I feel like in my head, it would be very cold on that coast. When is it good all year round or are the particular times of year good to go to, the, to that coastal region? The weather in Scandinavia is definitely not good all year round. <laughs> I wouldn't say cold along the coastline. We have the benefit of the Gulf Stream, which actually brings the average temperature fairly higher than it would be at this latitude in other parts of the world. The word I would use is wet. You know, the coastline of Norway is defined by rain. Bergen, Stavanger, they're ex exceptionally rainy cities. It's not that it rains all day. It's not heavy rain. It's just that on any given day, the chances of it raining at some point is high. Uh, but that also affects tourism because all the photos of the fjords, there's never any clouds. Or if there are clouds, they're lovely little fluffy white clouds like a... Realistically, it's going to be grey. Uh, you're going to get a bit of fog. All that, for me, that adds to the atmosphere of the fjords. It's fantastic sailing down a foggy fjord and then all of a sudden this mountain appears around the corner out of the fog. But for some people, that's a disappointment. They expect to see these you know, bright blue skies. Uh, but the truth is those days are, are rare. 
yeah it's, it's all about the water so of course it's going to be in the air as well but um mm. your guidebook also notes uh, some scenic railways for example i don't i haven't owned a car for a number of years now and i don't particularly like driving so the idea of getting on a railway actually really appeals to me so tell us a bit about these scenic railways if you can drive by the way i, I do recommend hiring a car because the roads in norway they're not the busiest there. It's nothing like driving down the M1 in the UK, for example. <laughs> uh, the railways are a great alternative. And that's because to move between any of the big cities in Norway, you have to cross mountains. So from Oslo to Bergen is the most famous railway. It's one of it's often voted the most beautiful journey in the world, or at least in the top five listed articles that you see. That's with good reason. It's It takes about six hours, maybe six and a half hours on the train. And it, uh, it goes over the Hardangavida mountain plateau, which is well above some meters above sea level. I can't remember the, the exact amount. But all year round, the snow there, even in July, you'll see some snow. It, it's absolutely stunning scenery. Uh, but on that journey, you also have the opportunity to connect to the Fulham Railway. And this, this railway starts at one of the highest points on the journey. It's a railway station that you can't actually access by road. There are no roads there. So you, you get off there at the station and there's a couple of houses and then maybe a few wild reindeer wandering past. And then a one hour train journey that sort of descends through a scenic valley. It's getting greener and greener as you go down and you end up in Flom, which is a little uh, village on the Arlandsfjord, one of the country's most uh, picturesque fjords. So you have the opportunity by using the train to see Oslo and Bergen, the two biggest cities, the mountain scenery and fjord scenery, potentially all in one day, although I'd recommend two days to make the most of that journey. Uh, Something else about the Bergen line, by the way, there's another remote station, again, that you can't get to by road. Finsa was actually where uh, Hoth, the ice planet in Star Wars, was set back in the 70s or 80s, whenever it was they filmed it. So the, the crew came to this very remote part of the Norwegian mountains to shoot the scenes set in Hoth. And they didn't actually have to do much computer work because it was a complete whiteout, I believe, when they were here. That's cool. And then you mentioned reindeer and, and whiteouts. And you in the book, there's this section on, is it Lofoten? And the high north and the high north made me think of Game of Thrones and <laughs> that kind of thing. So what's up there? And is, is that really a winter destination for the northern lights or what's up there in the high north? You can visit at any time of year. Want to visit for the Northern Lights, you are really restricted to September, October time or February, March time. I'd recommend February, March because at that time there's almost guaranteed snow. So you have other things to do in the day whilst you're waiting for the Northern Lights uh, in the evening. But Lofoten particularly, this in the travel writing world, breathtaking is an overused word, but <laughs> breathtaking is absolutely what Lofoten is. You just have to Google the place and you'll see these just breathtaking images of mountain scenery. It really is something of a fairy tale. Essentially what it is, it's an archipelago uh, of islands that juts right out into the North Atlantic. Again, it's very easy to see on a map of Norway. You just you follow Norway north all the way up to the top of the country and you'll see this archipelago of islands jutting out west but basically what they are is giant slabs of granite just in the middle of the ocean and when you're approaching there whether you're flying there or taking the ferry across from the mainland it's really imposing as these just giant slabs of granite get closer and closer to you but when you're on the islands it's just beautiful 
they hide these really small picturesque fishing villages uh, and beaches, some of the most beautiful beaches you will ever see as well. It, it really is a, a truly remarkable place. Another really positive thing about Lofoten is it doesn't get very cold there. It's one of the places in the world with the largest uh, temperature anomaly compared to how high uh, or, or how high uh, latitude it is. So I think I'm right in saying the temperature doesn't or the average temperature doesn't drop below freezing even in the winter. And we are a long way north of the Arctic Circle in Lofoten. So it's mild. But again, it's like most of the Norwegian coast, it's very wet. Wow, that sounds so interesting. And how do you get there? Do you fly there or is it you drive? There? Like, How far away is it from the, the, the bottom? It's a very long country, isn't it? Yeah, it's many hundreds of miles. So you can drive. The problem with Norway is there's a lot to do in the south. There's a lot to do in the north. But from where I am in Trondheim, for about a six hour drive north, the tourist board might disagree, but there isn't a great deal to see in, in that distance. So most people fly. Most people fly to Buda and take the ferry across to Lofoten. You can also fly in normal times. You can fly directly from Oslo as well, although those are small domestic flights on little propeller planes and they, they tend to be a bit more expensive. Yeah, and sometimes a little scary. Um, Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, so the natural side is clearly spectacular, but you mentioned there Oslo, you mentioned Trondheim. What, what happens there? Are they worth visiting? What's going on culturally? This is an interesting question because most people's image of Norway, I think, is fjords, it's hiking, it's northern lights, and all of this is essentially a rural activity. I think you're not missing a great deal if you don't go to the cities. But if you are a city person, there really is a lot to do in Oslo, Bergen, Trondheim, Stavanger, especially if you're a museum person. Oh, I am. Yes, tell yeah. us about that. So I have a couple of recommendations that I think you're particularly going to. In Oslo, you have to get away from downtown and head straight to the Bugdai Peninsula. It's where some of the country's best museums are all clustered. You have the Viking Ship Museum, and these are three genuine Viking ships that have been excavated and restored. They're simply <laughs> stunning. There's also the Folk Museum. Now, I don't necessarily recommend going there, but if you're not going to travel around the country to see some of the old traditional wooden churches, there is one that's actually been moved from rural Norway to that museum. So you have a chance of seeing some of the rural culture. And then it, I suppose that's a good museum to go to if you're not planning to travel the country. So if you're just heading to Oslo on a city break, for example. But another museum that I recommend there is the Kontiki Museum. And that has the original balsa wood raft that Thor Herdal used on the Kontiki expedition in, in Polynesia in the 1950s, I think it was. And Thor Herdal, a famous Norwegian explorer, he has a quote which I think uh, listeners are really going to identify with, and that's borders. I have never seen one, but I have heard that they exist in the minds of some people. <laughs> I love that. That is right. so good. <laughs> <laughs> As for Trondheim, we have Nidros Cathedral here. It's uh, the northernmost cathedral from the Middle Ages anywhere in the world. It's the exterior, the stonework is stunning. A lot of it has been renovated and improved over the years. But my favourite bit and something that a lot of people miss is inside the cathedral, you can take these really claustrophobic stairs down to the crypt where they have uh, on display all these old uh, fragments of marble gravestones 
that they found uh, during the renovations. And these stones were incorporated into the walls of the cathedral. They were just reusing stone. And now they're on display. And some of them you can still read the the inscriptions and, and things like that. And that's a really spooky place, but definitely not recommended for anyone who's claustrophobic. <laughs> Yeah, crypts in general, I think. <laughs> Not generally, but no, that sounds really cool. And then what about food and drink? You mentioned reindeer and I immediately thought of venison. <laughs> but then other people think Scandinavia must be, everything is pickled. So what, what should we be eating and drinking? If everything was pickled here, Joe, I would not have been living here for almost 10 years, that's for sure. <laughs> it looks at salted seafood. That's the traditional food in Norway. You do still find it in some tourist restaurants and some of the more traditional restaurants in cities but it's not so much everyday food if you're coming to norway and eating in restaurants the big thing these days is new nordic and what that is it's actually really simple it's about fresh raw ingredients cooking them very simply and to allow the the freshness and the the natural qualities of those ingredients to come through in terms of fish and seafood Arctic cod is particularly popular, but you'll often find it served not with chips, but with like berries and mushrooms from the mountains, for example. And that's a very common method of cooking in the restaurants. But don't get me wrong, not everyone eats like that. Inside a Norwegian home, you're just as likely to find a frozen pizza as anywhere else in the world. (laughs) And then what about drinking? I do like a local tipple. (laughs) I would say beer is surprisingly popular here. And I'm from the UK, so that might sound strange saying that, but pretty much everybody drinks beer when they go out in Norway. A big part of the reason for that is price. And if anyone has been to Norway, you'll know how expensive a beer is. It's very expensive, but it's much cheaper than the wine and the spirits and everything else. So you'll find even, uh, you know, 75-year-old grannies, when they're out with the family, they're having a beer as well. And that's something I'm not used to seeing. So beer is very popular. There's also the traditional spirit, uh, Arkevit, which is popular across Scandinavia. And I've been told is enjoying a renaissance in some of the trendy bars in New York and LA, but I'm not sure how true that is. <laughs> is that like a, a whiskey? No, it's more, it's a spirit that's, I think it's dill that they use or, or caraway. Oh. So it's a very fragrant spirit. Yeah. I, I don't You're really not really a fan? <laughs> I'm not a fan. Of, oh, I tried it once and that, that's it. So it's really not my thing. But again, you'll often find it in the same places that serve the salted fish. Okay. And mm. you mentioned the price there. Is it an expensive country for yes. tourists? Yeah, absolutely. It's an expensive country for tourists, largely because of the economy here for Norwegians. We tend to have higher salaries here. So the prices reflect that. You're stepping into a completely different economy when you're visiting here as a tourist. And the, what makes a huge difference is the exchange rate. This year, the exchange rate to the dollar has varied between 9 and 12. Now that makes a huge difference on prices. So it's difficult to, to give you a, an exact idea of how expensive the country is. But unless you're coming from Japan, it, it is definitely going to be more expensive. A couple of tips, though. What makes prices especially expensive here is any human involvement because wages are so high. So if you're going to a restaurant, that's going to be expensive. If you're just buying a pre-made sandwich from a shop, that's not quite so expensive. So in any time you're interacting with a human or you're paying for a service, such as a personal tour, for example, those things are going to feel more expensive than perhaps you would like to pay. 
Yeah, I think that's pretty common in, I think, Scandinavia in general, isn't it? Certainly. The quality of life, I think, is very high, but that is reflected in the economy as well. Yeah, and we pay a lot of tax as well. Um, Sweden, Finland, Denmark, they are perceived as expensive as well. However, here in Trondheim, we're an hour away from the Swedish border and many Norwegians drive across the border to buy meat, uh, beer and, and fuel oh. and then drive back again. So there is a price difference, yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. <laughs> now, um, you've mentioned the Viking ships that are in that museum. What else is there in terms of Viking history and that the people, I think, are, are really into because of TV shows and things? Yeah, I was quite disappointed to find out. I, I've recently binged watched Vikings, which is just a sensational show. Uh, and I was disappointed to find out that even though it's supposed to be set in Norway, they actually filmed it in the one fjord in Ireland, uh, <laughs> presumably because it was cheaper to film. So you, you, what you can't do is come and see the set of Vikings. But one plus point, actually, if you are into Vikings, is there are Viking attractions pretty much in every part of the country. Anywhere where there was a significant Viking settlement, there's now some kind of museum or, or there's the Viking Ship Museum in Oslo, for example. And even on Lofoten, way up in the north, there is a, a very famous old Viking settlement. They lived that far north back then. That's where they got the fish from to trade with the rest of Europe. And you can go there and, and spend an evening in this reconstructed longhouse, have a dinner with the chieftain and his wife and, and so on. It's a little bit touristy, but if you're into that, kind of thing and you want that experience it's a fun place to go any axe throwing uh, amongst that <laughs> no but in some of these places now i'm thinking uh, there's a, a viking village and that is in avaldsnes which is near haugesund on the west coast you can try archery and there's uh, someone there and they're dressed up as vikings they'll talk to you <laughs> as if they're vikings and they'll, they'll say, oh, my husband's away on a raid, but maybe you could help me shoot this arrow or whatever. So it's a very uh, immersive experience. It's great for kids. So yeah, the archery, but no axes as far as I'm aware. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny. Axe throwing seems to have, there's a renaissance in axe throwing in the USA, judging by some of the shows on Netflix. But yeah, it's so funny. My husband is watching, in fact, at the moment, it's a show called Norse, I think. It's, and it's, it's a Viking comedy. <laughs> And so there's a lot of shooting and axe throwing and, and death, but in a kind of funny way, in a sort of Scandinavian humour way, which is fascinating. I think. Have you, you seen that one? I have a little factoid about uh, it's called Norsemen, if it's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, probably. Uh, yeah. Uh, they actually filmed that show in two languages. They shot every scene in English and they shot every scene in Norwegian. Wow. So you can watch Norsemen in English or you can watch Vikingara in Norwegian. And it's the same story. It's the same characters. Everything's the same. They just shot the same scenes twice. It's just so they didn't have to dub or, or, or whatever. And I think that as a, I'm sure other shows have done that. I just, I, I don't know of any. And it's just a fascinating concept. That is. So those are all Norwegian a actors because obviously most people can't speak Norwegian. Yeah, I think so. Whereas in Vikings, for example, there was a lot of Irish actors in Vikings, which you can tell in the early season, actually, with some of the accents with Irish people trying to do a generic Scandinavian accent, <laughs> which is quite amusing. But yeah, I think in Norseman, everyone was Norwegian or at least Scandinavian, because most of the most people from Sweden and Denmark can can do a passable Norwegian accent for sure. Yeah. And I've watched a bit of that show and it does have this interesting 
gentle humour. And so I wondered, like, you're British, obviously, you've said you've been there almost a decade, uh, and you're Norway from this expat outsider Mm. perspective. So what are some of the aspects of the Norwegian culture that are different to the rest of Scandinavia? Norwegians love to explain the differences between themselves and the rest of the Nordic region, especially the Swedes. However, they're pretty much exactly the same. <laughs> it's much like British, actually. If if you leave Britain, an English person, a Scotsman, a Welsh person, that they're, they're all pretty much the same to everybody else. Whereas we think we're all wildly different. It's the same with Norwegians, Swedes and Danes, I think. Uh, the language is pretty much identical. Again, they will disagree vehemently. But I've spoken to linguists before, and actually they consider the three, many of them consider the three Scandinavian languages to be one language, just three different dialects. And actually, this goes for Nordic people as well. So Finland, Iceland. And if people are interested, you can go and listen to the Finland episode of your podcast, Mm. because that's pretty much Norwegian people. Hard to know people. They're introverted, private people, and they're very outdoorsy. It's exactly that. Finns and you find that across the whole Nordic region I think. Interesting so why tell us why are you there what is your history and why are you in Norway and why do you love it there why haven't you come back to England? (laughs) So most people come to Norway especially from Britain they move for love and stay for the money or they come for them stay for love and it's a very typical expat story that you move to Norway you you get a well-paid job and you fall in love with a Norwegian girl and you get married and live happily ever after. I I didn't do that. I moved to Norway for a job opportunity, but I fell in love with a a boy from Mexico instead. I've spent the last 10 years, you know, learning Spanish alongside Norwegian and flying to Mexico once or twice a year. So I had a very unique experience. I think that they call it a third culture experience when you have people from different countries living in a, a different third country. Now we don't have kids to add to that problem, but it does mean I have this mix of culture and influence. It's not just an Englishman living in Norway. I also have this whole life as well, which makes things interesting. Wow. When you, I think British people probably have quite a lot in common with Norwegians. Like I feel like our culture has some things that are similar, but Mexico seems almost diametrically opposite to Norway. Yeah. I can't speak for my now husband, but I do know that he feels incredibly safe in Norway and has no plans on returning to Mexico. And, <laughs> and I, you know, having been to Mexico, it's, yeah, it, it's all degrees, isn't it? You can't say Mexico is unsafe and Norway's safe. It's perception and it's degrees of, of safety. And I understand uh, it's not just about personal safety, though. It's not just about gun crime and, and, and drug gangs and so on. Oh, the government and the social security system and the, the welfare system, if, if you fall sick in Mexico, you'll lose your job. And it's like this in a lot of the world. You don't know where you stand. But if you fall sick or you lose your job in Norway, you have a safety net there. And that just takes away a lot of the stresses of life, a lot of the stresses of everyday life. And that means you can use your energies and mental, mental energies on other things that matter to you. And there's a huge amount to be said for that. Now, a lot of people call Norway boring. And I understand that because you don't really have the nightlife scene here that you have in many other countries. But you have the outdoors and you have that safety net that allows you to essentially choose what you want to do with your life. And there aren't that many countries, I think, in the world where you can say that. No, and it's interesting. We're in this 
turning point in history, maybe or maybe not, but you know, where people are talking about universal credit and providing much more of a safety net. It's certainly in the, the UK and maybe America, who knows what the political environment will bring. But it's like you say about the high taxes, there's a that allows the nation to support people in a way that many other cultures are not willing to do and it is a a really interesting social situation that as you say you and your husband feel that's protected and yet when I and uh, in my head the these kind of stereotypes of Mexico versus Norway are are probably true in many ways and that's not a bad thing that's that there is a big difference between those cultures and that in itself is interesting stereotypes are stereotypes for a reason there's a truth in most stereotypes how much of a truth that depends but certainly there is interesting so i wanted to just ask you about you mentioned a folk museum and there is some interesting mythological aspects of norway i th- i believe trolls are norwegian <laughs> is that right and tell us about any aspects you find interesting yeah trolls there are a lot of uh, folk tales from the Middle Ages about trolls, especially in the rural areas. And if you visit some of the wooden churches around the country, you, you'll, you tend to hear those stories. And I've been told even as recently as 100, 150 years ago, people used to ring the church bells to ward off the trolls. The, these are not ancient tales. They're things that people actually believed in fairly recently. But for me, when you talk about mythological, the mythological side of Norway, it's all about Norse mythology, because really here it's mythology. Norwegians learn it in school. It's not a subject. You don't study Norse mythology in a Norwegian school, but you do. It is incorporated into history, into social studies, into language, of course. I think most people know that Thursday has its root in Thursday, whereas in Norway, the Thursday is Thursdag, which is literally Thursday. It's still today is referred to as Tours Day. And most of the other days of the week are named after Norse gods. It's just everywhere in society, there's still a very heavy influence on Norse mythology. And actually, we were talking about TV shows earlier. And I know this is the books and travel, but I have another TV show recommendation. <laughs> it's called Be Foreigners. And I think it might be HBO. I can't quite remember. But this is a tale of uh, Vikings coming back into modern day Norway by a supernatural occurrence. So all of a sudden, downtown Oslo has 100, 200 Vikings appear. And that's the premise. I'm not really spoiling anything there. So the show is then about immigration and how the Vikings can adjust to modern day society. And it's a fascinating conflict between the old mythology and these Vikings who still believe in the old Norse gods and modern Oslo. So that's something to watch if you are interested in Norse mythology as well. What's the name again? It's called Be Foreigners. Be Foreigners. That does sound fascinating. And then, so you said it's still prevalent in the culture. Like, in what way? In terms of, do people call their children after the gods? Or you said it's taught in schools. Does that mean it is in aspects, other aspects of culture? I think it's taught in schools in the same way as Christian history is taught in British schools, for example, not necessarily as a religion, but just as, a, as an important part of the, the society. In terms of children, I think it's more common actually to call pets after the Norse gods. <laughs> you, there's a lot of, mind you, Freya is a very common name now for girls. I think that's made a comeback. 
And I don't think Odin is a particularly common name, but I do know there's a professional footballer in Norway who, is, who has the first name Odin. So it's not very uncommon. But the names, it's difficult to explain. It's just a very, it underpins the society. I mean, you mentioned the churches and how they might ring the bells for the trolls. Is it, what's the Christian religion prevalence versus more secular sense that just respects these things as history? It's a difficult question for me to answer. I have to say, to give some context to this, that I, I consider myself an atheist. So I should say that to, to give some context to what I'm saying. Back in the days of the Vikings, Norway was very much a Norse, Norse god country. You can't really call that a religion, but it was certainly a belief system. And then Christianity came in, which essentially signaled the end of the Viking era. Many hundreds of years, Norway was and really still is a Christian country. In recent years, Norway's undergone a, a split of church and state just a couple of years ago that revealed that for the first time since they were doing this survey that less Norwegians believed in God than didn't. Uh, and that was the first time those figures had slipped. So I think like a lot of Western Europe, there is a sort of, it's it's not really a move away from Christianity. It's more just a, a move away from organized religion. I think still people still have a personal faith and a personal belief system. It's just that the numbers that are going to a church every week are dropping here, just like they're dropping everywhere mm, else. Everywhere else, yeah. I wonder how many still believe in Odin. <laughs> Yeah, you never know. I think actually there's more Norwegian-Americans that believe in the Norse gods than actual Norwegians living in Norway. The the Viking culture over in the US amongst the, the descendants of the Norwegians that moved over there is immense. Mm, and then, of course, we've got here, even here in the Shetland Islands, the Upheliar, up which is a Viking festival. People love the Vikings for all their blood and guts and things. People really still love them. <laughs> Yeah, and there's, I think there's a lot of misconceptions because really at, at their absolute core, Vikings were farmers and fishermen, really. And, and yes, they went on trading missions and yes, there were some raids as well and there was an expansionist sort of element to them. But, you know, what society uh, it, hundreds of years ago didn't have that expansionist uh, mentality? I mean, look at the British Empire, for example. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing unusual about the Vikings back then. They, they were looking primarily, they were looking for farmland. Uh, obviously, yes, they were looking for riches as well. But yeah, the, I think there is a lot of misconceptions. And Norway is a great place to learn some of the context about the Vikings in terms of what they were like from a day-to-day basis. In Britain, we learn the stories of the raid on Lindisfarne and the other mm. raids. But in Norway, it's more about how they lived their day-to-day lives. No, interesting. You obviously have the Norway guidebooks, you have your Life in Norway website and podcast, but can you recommend a few other books either about Norway or set in Norway? Sure. I'm going to recommend fiction. And that's because I I genuinely think you can learn a lot more about a place through fiction, well-written fiction, well-written fiction anyway. Now, the first one, I've only just and I'm not really a fan of historical fiction, but this book just blew me away. It's called The Mercies, and it's by Kieran Millwood Hargrave, who's a British writer. Now, this is set in the 1600s in the very northeast of Norway in an island town called Varda. It's the easternmost part of Norway, and it's based around the witch trials. Now, everyone knows of witch trials in the US, but they also happened in Norway, and Around 100 uh, women were executed, accused of being witches around the time. And that's a true story. 
this very remote place was left essentially entirely populated by women, like 50 women and maybe four or five men. It's, uh, yeah, it's a wonderful story. It's historical fiction, but at its core, it's a love story as well. And it's a real eye-opener into life in rural Norway in the 1600s when people believed in all kinds of different things. And we were talking about the conflict earlier in or the changing of religions. And this is actually a very good demonstration of um, Christianity and the Sami beliefs of the North. There's that Mm. element to the story. Okay, and uh, I can't talk about books in Norway without talking about crime fiction. It is uh, the nation is obsessed with crime fiction, as is all of Scandinavia. Now, most people have heard of Jorn Esber. He's easily the most famous crime author internationally, well, and here in Norway as well. But I'm not going to recommend his stuff because it's all a bit Hollywood for me. It's a little and, bit. Uh, people dazzling. might also know him as Joe Nesbo. <laughs> yeah, and actually, to, to be fair to him, whenever he does an interview in English, that is how he pronounces his name. So, yes, that's right, Joe Nesbo. Instead, I'm going to recommend Jörn Lierhust, who is uh, the man behind William Visting, which is a, a TV series recently aired in the UK and around the world, I think. The series was actually based on just two of the books, but I will recommend the first book, which is called Dregs, and that is the the way his character began. It's just a, a typical police procedural. It also has an element of World War II history, and there's a lot of fiction in Norway that references World War II. It's still very much in the nation's uh, psyche even today. Last of all, I'll stick with crime. A lot of crime writers in Norway are former police but one of them is actually a former Minister of Justice, Anna Holt, and she writes a lot of crime novels. The one I'm going to recommend is called 1222, and it's a locked room mystery for fans of Agatha Christie, but with one very important difference. It's set in a remote hotel on the Oslo to Bergen Railway during a whiteout. There's a train crash. And everyone has to stay in this hotel. It's actually at Finsa, which is the place where Hoth was set that I mentioned earlier. Mm. So there's no way in and there's no way out. Everyone's stuck in the hotel. And of course, the bodies start to fall. And the, one of the people on the train is the, the series detective character. And she has to piece together what goes on. And again, really, it's, it's the mountain blizzard uh, that is the main character in that story. And again, if you're visiting Norway... I actually recommend reading that book on the Oslo to Bergen train. It's about the right. It's just a, a really nice experience as to what the remoteness and the the power of nature in Norway is all about. Oh, those are some good recommendations. <laughs> I'm going to go and check some of those out. So uh, where can people find you and your books and everything you do online? So my guidebook is Moon Norway. Uh, that's available on Amazon and in most major bookstores, especially in the US and the UK. Everything else I do, my articles, my other books, and all my podcast episodes about Norwegian life, that's all on my website at lifeinnorway.net. Brilliant. Thanks so much for your time, David. That was great. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for joining me today on the Books and Travel podcast. I hope you found a moment of escape. You can find the episode show notes at booksandtravel.page. And if you enjoy thrillers set in international locations, download one of my books for free at jfpen.com forward slash free. Happy travels until next time.